0: Well, hello, everybody. The eagle-eyed amongst you will have spotted that I didn't get the show number right on the titles, but uh, also the eagle-eyed no- amongst you will have noticed uh, a short statement there uh, in tribute for Mr Dominic Hawking. I think we're going to just open straight up with this because uh, we, we can't not, really. Uh, obviously, very sad news that Dom uh, passed away on the 6th of February with his family um, after a short illness. Uh, he just got nobbled by pancreatic cancer, which as we know can do for you in a matter of weeks and it really was very, very fast um, but still, you know it's hard to know what to say really, I mean, you know, without using um, f- colourful language I, I-, I mean, Don was a really unique and special guy, I don't think there's anybody really who uh... uh who would say that, you know, he, was, he wasn't he was a really kind, warm-hearted individual. I mean, also incredibly modest. I mean, I don't think many people knew. I mean, the, the headlines, we know, you know, he wrote a Christmas hit. I mean, who, as a musician, would not want to be one of those people? That is kind of a a, sure. a, a fantastic achievement in itself. Secondly, we also have, uh, you know, he... he, he Created uh, all sorts of other startups. He was a serial entrepreneur. There's some really. I found a video out there where he he was talking to uh, a bunch of guys and girls in a kind of startup uh, business. Some symposium, symposium um, just telling them about how to do stuff. He started a uh, secure data facility in a nuclear bunker that he raised money to buy. He created some code that was then uh, as a part of a digital agency that was sold to William Hill for masses of money, and he was able to kind of step back. I mean, he just did loads of things, and he was very, very modest. I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a bit flummoxed. work, so I haven't introduced any guests, I haven't said anything like that, but this is... This sort of transcends all of that, I guess, and we're kind of, uh, I knew this was going to be me rambling and perhaps not being as clear, but I know for lots of people out there, not only that, he was a great podcaster. He did a fantastic uh, Sunday night show, which was really sort of family orientated. Uh, his wife, Sophia, Mrs Wigley and uh, Lula May were on it. And you know, they raised loads of money for charity. also did a Wednesday night podcast uh, uh, for mental health. I mean, really, uh, a, a polymath, I think, would not be an unreasonable term to use when it comes to Dom. Just a very all round guy. And it's just incredibly sad news um, I'll quickly say hello to our guests that so we've got Paulie bow here from uh, magical synth adventure and um, and uh, also mr. Rich Hilton I'll get to bigger introductions later on Mitch rich we haven't seen rich for ages it's lovely to see you even though it's a kind of sad day to have you on in many ways you know we can be positive that there's so much to celebrate with Dom I mean he was yeah. he was sort of terrifyingly good at everything and really kind and had plenty of time. He, most people that I've spoken to have said, oh, he always, you know, he he helped me, he did this, he did that. He did so much stuff for people. Before we get into what you guys may have thought of it, I know Dom, um, uh, Gaz was really, uh, wanted to send a video. He he couldn't be here today, obviously, but uh, he wants to, he wanted to send a little message in. So I'll play that first and then we can get on to other, everybody else's thoughts about it.
1: Hello, everybody. Sorry I'm not on the show today. Uh, I'm going to be en route to France when the show goes out. Uh, But I wanted to say a few words in tribute to the wonderful late Mr Dominic Hawking. Uh, Like many of us, all of us, I guess, this is just such a shock and it's very difficult to process. Uh, Somebody who was so much larger than life, a lovely soul bursting full of positivity and encouragement, uh, Quite unlike anyone I've ever met, and um, uh, t- I think a good example of of, of his in- of his amazingness was at the last Sonic State live appearance, where in the middle of this amazing performance, he 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 read out uh, like an essay on uh, asylum seeking, like a like with so much heart and so much connection to fundamental human goodness, you know, and I think that's what he was fantastic for and through his own live streams and of course appearing on Sonic State the only stuff you ever got from Dom was the good stuff I love you Dom gonna miss you terribly and obviously big love to your family thank you
0: yeah thanks guys I mean I think that sums up a lot of it I mean it's gonna be a bit tough I, I realize this I-, I, mean, I know many of us um, I only I, I mean even though I've been working with Dom for three years I only met him Three, I think, three times in total. Uh, uh, one was at uh, synthsy where I performed. Another one was at uh, the Emom, and, uh, and oh no, four times. Another one was at uh, um, uh, Tile Yard, and the other one was at uh, Super Booth when he came last year and was so so incredibly helpful and generous with his time. Generous with his time. I know, Rich, you managed to meet him as well. I, I think did you meet him at Kent? Was that was that right when you came to the UK? You got to meet Don. <coughs>
2: Uh, yeah. Well, last summer, um, as you know, when I'm on the road, I try to connect with my friends and last year you and I and Andy had, and Gaz had a nice day out in, uh, Bristol when I was there. And at one point when I was in London, I called up or I messaged Dom and I said, I'm here and I've got a little time off and it might be nice for us to go and, uh, hang out together and visit Kent. And how did he feel about that? And he, he loved the idea. And so I made my way to the train station, and I made a train down to near where Dom lives, and Dom picked me up, and we drove uh, up to Epsom to see Kent. And we spent the day playing with Kent and the dogs and visiting Kent's famous garage and having just the time of our lives, and Fiona was the consummate host And uh, this time. <laughs> and... Uh, and we had a great time and I took pictures and the dogs and it was just everybody just being normal human beings. And it wasn't so much about, you know, music or synths or, you know, anything about our lives necessarily. It was just us enjoying each other for a few hours. And then um, uh, at some point later in the afternoon, uh, we got back into Dom's car and went to uh, the Hawken Estate, which is uh, gorgeous and impressive and uh, and really just beautifully, tastefully done and just a great, great home. And um, I'm telling you this so slowly because I cherish this and it's as close as I'm ever gonna get to Dom. Um, but uh, we had such a wonderful day and evening and they prepared a wonderful dinner and I went upstairs and I saw the studio from where Thee does the wiggly stuff and everything else, and which by the way is in the attic. I don't know if people realize that that ah, no, that's, it's not in the basement. It's not on the ground floor. It's way upstairs in what would have been an attic conversion in any house here, except it's pretty sprawling in his house. Um, and that horn, that crazy wiggly horn he used to play when everybody would contribute. That was like incredibly loud and you can see it's stuffed with like tissue paper and everything. And, um, it was a day that I cherished at that moment. And it's a day I cherish a hundred times more now because of uh, what a prince of a man Dominic Hawkin was, and how, what a huge heart, what a tremendously creative mind, how agile he was mentally, and how mm. uh, open his heart was to everybody he contacted, and how much he touched everybody's lives, and brushed it off like like water on a duck's back. It it wasn't. It wasn't something he uh, even acknowledged doing, even as he did it. And um, I don't think humans get much better than that. And I'm trying not to cry, but uh, yep. I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna miss our friend terribly because he was just one of the really good ones. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, I will. Uh, I can totally agree. Yeah, it's a. T- it, it's, we knew this was going to be tough. I mean, it is. It is. Like I said, it's incredibly sad. He's. This is. This is something that everybody who met him just kind of went, "Wow, what a great guy." My, um, yeah. my, my partner and her friend. They were doing the door, and they spent. They spent an evening in his company, you know, basically at the Imam, and because um, I told them that he'd uh, had a hand in uh, staying another day, and they were like, "Oh wow!" and they were just they were quizzing him about it, and he was totally up for it, and just really, you know, they said, "Oh, what a nice guy," you know, and it's like, I mean. Usually, my uh, my my synth my synth the side of my life that is synths and the side of my life that is my personal life don't sort of cross over all that much in terms of family, but he Mm. he bridged that totally with uh, with Jane and Jill. It was really nice. Anyway, I I know that I don't. Did you get to meet him? at... Did you meet him at? uh, Yeah, you must have met him at um, SynthFest. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. That was and that was a great show. Was was it the soma? um... Yes, that's right. Story, sense.
3: which he he did amazingly at, by the way he was yeah. just he was just so enthusiastic. I wonder how many many interesting people he sold them to that day because he was so enthusiastic about the instruments and explaining them to people and and stuff like that um so my thoughts on Dom I know I've only got my one story, of course, and when the interesting thing is when someone passes on. You get to hear all these other little stories, do you know what I mean? And they yeah, kind of absolutely. they kind of build up a, a big picture and hopefully mine will kind of fit with everyone else's. Um, when I initially met Dom online and this is going back maybe 10 years, oh. I, was not, I was not a particularly likeable person what I mean by that is it wasn't really my fault I mean I had autism and complex PTSD from bullying but there were lots of really rough edges to my personality you know I was quite jealous I was quite reactive and on the forums around that time I mean I was releasing music I was I was you know people loved the music I was doing but I wasn't you know, I didn't have the the personableness that I do now. And yet he just kind of broke through all of that. He could, he just saw that, um, I was clearly someone who was talented, but troubled. So he spent quite a lot of time. I've got like old private messages, you know, and stuff like that, that are probably on a server somewhere that I need to go and find, you know, just, just, telling me such nice things about myself and how talented I was and stuff like that. And I hear that he did this a lot with people, tried to build them up. Um, you know, made a concerted effort to try and build people up. Sorry, I'm not speaking into my microphone properly. I've I've just got dis... Um, discombobulated. Yeah. Um, yeah, obviously. So, the final thing is um... So he, he was actually able to to be that lovely to someone who was ostensibly quite a handful, which shows me and, and and see my humanity beneath that kind of, you know, veneer of anger or whatever, which I think is incredible. I mean, I work in mental health now. I kind of turn my life around and, and help other people. And I know that he helped a lot of other people via his smashed... Um, Podcast yeah. because it was a bit of a safe place for people to to talk about these things, and and potentially with the the bigger number of males in the synth community, a place for males to talk about this stuff because statistically males find it harder to access support and help because it it's not in the the kind of bringing up and socialising as much. Um, so the final thing is we met and he was just so thrilled to finally meet me it, it was like I was like Marilyn Monroe or something do you know what I mean he was absolutely thrilled he was like I'm so glad I finally got to meet you and he just made me feel absolutely amazing about myself he said you know I, I was feeling a bit nervous and um... Uh, Feeling a bit self-conscious, and he was like, "No, no, you—you you were amazing on the day. You were beautiful. You talked to people, just well done," because he—he knows I kind of struggle on social, in social situations sometimes. Um, and and that's it, really. That's my story yeah. about Dom. I hope it was relevant. That's great. And, yeah, of course and it and is. Of course it is.
0: Everything is relevant. I, I think the thing is, is he, yeah. Well said, Paulie. I mean, I think everybody or many people have similar. Kind of quite deep connections, and he did yeah, you know, he did just sort of bring that out. I'm gonna, there, there's been a lot of talk about his performance, and this is a very special moment which i've just I've just oh. got to play because this gives us the quote. Uh, uh, it doesn't really sum Dom up, but it's it's one of Dom's many great bits. This is from uh, our Imam drum
1: no, ain't no kick drum.
0: I've told the story about this before because uh, he... uh, I was at the side of the stage with the sound guy and I thought he was talking to us that we had to kind of somehow... The monitoring wasn't right or whatever it was. We were kind of going, oh, I know, check the game, check the game. And then when it came in, it absolutely blew the room apart, which was probably the desired effect. But he did it in such an elegant way. Um, yeah, it was a fantastic cut. Uh, that's just a, one of many reminders. I mean, I suppose in many ways, you know, I feel, I, I, you know, the things I wish I'd done, I wish I'd gone up to visit him in his house. I wish we'd gone fishing together. There's all those things, but... Uh, so if there's any lessons to be learned, make sure you do those things when you get the opportunity because you never know when uh, when you might not. And I think that's kind of important um an important lesson in life really. And one that's really easy to overlook because we're all, you know, weighed down with responsibilities and kind of, you know, worries and all that stuff and we think oh I can't do that, it's going to be too difficult. Uh, Just try and do it, because, you know, you might never, you might miss that moment with somebody like Dom, you know, that uh, you can't have again, so, anyway. Oh, right, I think we should probably, uh, um, I'm I'm actually, I'm going to do something really crass now and play an ad, because I think we all need a moment. Ozone 10 is the future of mastering. The new version includes Master Assistant, match your master to any reference file or files. Also, the Stabilizer module in Advanced adds clarity with intelligent and adaptive mastering EQ. Also included is the Impact module in Advanced, which enhances the rhythm by controlling microdynamics. Don't forget the code Sonic10 at isotope.com forward slash SonicTalk to save an additional 10% off any software purchase, not including subscriptions. Yes. Um, okay. How's everybody doing? Are we okay to carry on? I know. I, I knew it was going to be like this. I just didn't know how it was going to go. Yeah, so right. anyway, thank you, everybody. Thank you for uh, your contributions. And I'm sure everybody, you know, in the chat will have similar uh, similar things to discuss. Thank you.
2: Hey, Nick. Can I just jump on your point for a second about the opportunities? Um, yeah. It's. It, I know this is going to sound incredibly obvious, but I just want to say it anyway. There's two aspects to that. One is recognizing them, and that is really the key, is recognizing them as they present to you in life. And then the second is acting on them and taking the initiative where, ne- where needed to make the thing happen that may not happen if you don't. And um, that's something he was really good at, and uh, it's something I try to be good at, and I'm very thankful for all of the meetings I have with my friends from here, including our lunch, Nick, and. The day that I'm going to meet Paulie sometime, and um, all of sure. our friends in the chat room. I mean, it's it's this is what it is. This is what it is about. It's about the people, uh, as I've told you a million times, Nick. Everybody has topics. It's about the people. Mm. And yes, yeah. I just wanted uh, to say that again.
0: No, I think very well said and uh, much appreciated. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, well, speaking of topics, I suppose I should um, get, try and get back, get it together and, and, and make, make, a, um, make a show. So, okay, let's, let's see how we go with... Uh, oh, I don't know, let's try something. This, this will be interesting, or maybe it won't.
3: Hello, I am Anna-Maria, and I'm an overtone singer. And I'm going to tell you something about polyphonic singing today. Overtone singing is a voice technique where one person sings two notes at the same time. Wow.
0: She's a living high-pass filter. That's uh, Anna Marie <laughs> Heffele. Uh, sing-song really harmonics. Sing. They were definitely sing-song harmonics, weren't they? Uh, this isn't really about music technology so much, but there's some interesting kind of concept because it, this is something that you know our mouths are able to. To produce all kinds of interesting and exciting tones, and uh, she can do that. I mean, is it, there's a. I think we first heard of this sort of technique, uh, which was perhaps more about the. less about the overtone, uh, undertone, uh, the fundamental, more about the overtone, uh, with the uh, yeah. the um, throat singers used by the KLF yeah. and uh, also Kama Koma, which was the Tuvans of Mongolia. I have actually got a little clip of that. Uh, and it's just that this lady is just kind of. Doing her own thing and kind of developed yeah. a technique you can actually learn stuff from her as well if you wish. I wondered whether anybody'd ever tried. I mean, I've tried that thing with whistling where you could if you whistle and sing at the same time, and you can when you or when you whistle, if you if you do it in the right way, you can add harmonics to a whistle. I can't do it with my voice. Right. I just wondered if anybody had done any of that. I know, Paula, you sing, so you know, why I'm not asking for a demonstration or anything <laughs> unless oh, yeah, you I mean, happen to be a virtuoso. No, I,
3: I can't whistle, <laughs> you know, that's interesting. Really? I play like about I play about ten instruments, but I can't whistle. How about that? It's wow. it's clearly I've have overcompensated, haven't I, for not being able to naturally whistle? But no, I can't actually do much overtone stuff. I know it's the shape of the vocal cavity that acts yep. as your kind of almost bandpass filter kind of thing. I I can kind of do it on a um, a low note, which I did the other week. I think I kind of demonstrated a sort of right you know kind of thing yeah um but yeah maybe maybe i should learn it's an the, interesting one well, isn't it sort it's, of
0: thing one, one could wouldn't you <laughs> sorry chloe carry on
3: it's um it's it's only useful if your song's in like a dominant seven isn't it <laughs> this is a little joke <laughs> ah, <I laughs> <suppose yeah>. it... <laughs> well you can always change uh... the note you know but that's right. That,
0: well, that's what I'd that's what she does. She she can she can sing both and create intervals between. I think the thing that I find it quite hard to to differentiate just purely because the, the kind of Mongolian school uses a much, much lower fundamental, so the difference between yeah. the fundamental and the harmonic is, is more obvious, I suppose, and there, there's a clear sort of pitch differentiation. I know, Rich, I'm just wondering, I don't know if you have to, do you sing in, as a part of Sheik? Have you ever thought of throwing in a bit of uh, overtone polyphonic singing when the backing vocal is required, just to, just to keep them on their toes?
2: <laughs> Just to keep it <laughs> Uh The short answer to that question is no. Um, I had been fam- I had watched all of her videos uh, a few years ago because I am absolutely blown away by the fact that she can control it to that degree because I've known people who can sing multiple pitches at the same time, and I'm going to tell you about them. But I've never seen anybody who can run the harmonic series with such a high degree of control in the way that she approaches it it's not there's nothing random about it at all she's completely got it within her technique to do and that's something i've never seen before so yes i've heard two months throat singers and in fact when i was working around the corner at the studio from peter Vitesi, who you guys might know who's a synthesist and a keyboardist and has played with a million people he was studying Tuvan throat singing and would occasionally ah. uh, demonstrate it for us, which was incredible because that's just such a courageous thing to do anyway. And then um, I've no, I know of two professional singers that I've worked with or around that are able to sing multiple pitches <laughs> in sort of more like what a saxophonist does in the high register when they play multiphonics, mm. And there's plenty of examples of that in, on saxophone. But um, my friend Dan Reed, who used to have a band called the Dan Reed Network and is now a successful solo artist and visual painting artist as well and lives in Prague, can do this. Can He can't run harmonics like that, or at least I've never heard him run harmonics like that, but he can sing multiple pitches at will. and And it's a pretty stunning thing when you see somebody who can even control that much of it. And then there's a very famous, uh, African-American singer from the U.S. named Layla Hathaway, who I believe is the daughter of Donny Hathaway, although I'm not 100% sure of that. And she's a magnificent singer and a lovely person, and she can do that. And she does it on stage, like, pretty much all the time, you know, at every show. And, uh, again, it's a different presentation than this nice lady had, but um, it had a, it's a really uh, impactful thing when you hear somebody do that. So that's my uh, multiphonics stories. But this woman, I have never heard anybody do what she can do.
0: Nice. Sorry, I'm somewhat distracted because my uh, control software that uh, shows me the... The whole thing just crashed, so I I missed about the last oh. ten seconds of what you said because I oh, it couldn't was see or very hear anything. I know it was, but I'll, I'll have to watch. It. I'll have to watch it back a bit later. I don't know what's going on. It's but uh. this is this hasn't happened before. It's most frustrating. Uh, I will check out those singers though. That sounds pretty good. Um, I, again, this was just really. I, I I suppose I'm tossing it in there as a sort of slightly lighter topic compared to our previous one because it just sort of feels like we need. It's like a a, a moose boosh, shall we say, just to just to kind of uh, get sure. us back on track. Uh, Um, But yeah, anyway, well worth checking.
2: Nick, if I also may say, the great thing about singing and the thing we all love about singing, and especially choral singing and group singing, is the fact that we all breathe together. And there's such a power and energy Mm -hmm. in us all breathing together. Um, It really brings us together in a way that I believe words can't. And of course, singing is one of the rare instances in our lives and in music where we are the vibration. We're not contacting the vibration. We're not initiating the vibration. We're not in the same room as the vibration. We are the vibration. And I think that's very important.
0: I agree. Well, I know, Paulie, you do uh, music as part of uh, the kind of the the stuff you do for mental health. And I know that
3: uh,
0: the the workshops that Ana Maria does... They, uh, of the photographs anyway it looks like there is there are a lot of people all doing that in the room at the same time which must be kind of pr- pretty amazing you, you know you've got six people there that's 12 <laughs> 12 note polyphony you've got right there you know so i mean there must be <laughs> it must be quite a, an interesting experience uh, and there's a really good video of her as well if you search her out singing a, a solo piece in a room full of this kind of hanging resonant tubes it's a very curious one it's a it's a cracking uh, Cracking video. Worth mm. worth having one of those kind of YouTube uh, rabbit hole moments with Anna Maria stuff. Definitely. Okay. Uh, let's see what's next. Okay. Well, we're going to go straight back for the... Um, let's see. Yeah. Let's just do this one. Why not? This is um, underrated synths. Oh, I've got to do this. This is... Uh, uh, most underrated, this is Gear News. This is uh, uh, by uh, Adam Douglas. And it's very much a listicle thing. It seems like uh, everybody's doing listicle stuff at the moment, but, you know, you just can't... It's hard to... Do you know, I press that? That should go into the chat room. Is it there? Yeah. Well, or it's not. Hey, never mind. Oh, yeah, there it goes. Um, This is, yeah, Adam Douglas. He's got kind of five most underrated synths. You may or may not agree with some of those. I must say, I do agree massively with the IK Uno Synth Pro. I think that is a fantastic instrument. And I always forget. I don't know why. I always think, oh, what I'm looking for something that can just get... It's a four voice paraphonic, but it's got really great effects and some fantastic... um, uh, patching capabilities, really nice and interesting sounding filter. Blowfelt, some good calls in there. Op six, which I uh, we've got an op six, I would agree with that. I'm not sure. The JDXA, definitely not. I thought that was a donkey. Uh, and then there's a few <laughs> other ones. I just wondered whether there was whether there were any other I I mean I, I don't mind saying that because I did say it at the time the, the JDXA I will say but because the reason it was is because it had an analog filter and a digital engine. The sum of the parts, yeah. you know, it, the JD, uh, the JD whatever the XI or the JD whatever it was, the small one, that was really good because they didn't screw up the filter. Yeah. There's some, there was something happened in the construction that the gain staging was all wrong in the JDXA. So the only way that the filter wouldn't distort crazy amounts of distortion was by turning down the oscillators into it so much that it got really yeah. noisy. And so you couldn't get a, you couldn't get any decent, fil- you know, the filter was almost unusable, in my opinion, anyway. So, cool. I know, Paulie, um, I'm sure you've probably got a whole house full of underrated synthesizers, right?
3: <laughs> probably. Um, the JDXA is an interesting one because I think some of the parts in it are amazing. Um, so, for instance, yes, I would agree. The- it's basically got a core engine, pretty similar to the stuff that's in the 101 and MC 707, uh, which is pretty cool. It's got actually quite a nice sounding analogue part, but then these niggly things like the gloss plastic finish that they didn't sort out straight away. The um, yeah, the piano black gloss finish, that's that's a great idea where something you're gonna put your fingers all over, isn't it? Um, the uh that gain staging on the third analog filter and finally i don't think it's easy to transpose the sequencer i think you can use the arpeggiator and transpose that but i think the sequencer you can only use the bender to transpose and i think these things kind of put people off (laughs) yeah as they should uh, people off a bit I think I'd probably grab one cheap now, because I've enjoyed the 101. Um, but I think it's a it's an almost it's an almost hit kind of thing, do you know what I mean? they just got a few things not quite right. The System 8 came, came out, and although it's VA, yeah, that's it seemed a to do a lot different better.
0: Different story. That's a great yeah. instrument. I would agree. I think the System 8 so is a great sounding synthesizer on, in its own right, that's why. Um, uh, the thing about this system eight is it doesn't yes. need the models because the actual basic i mean again one lfo very di- very disappointing but you know it's not the end of the
3: world it's still kind sure. of pretty, some of those filters were fantastic but yeah uh, regarding um, the other ones though i'm not entirely sure if they're underrated as such i think everyone kind of knows that op6 is a pretty good fm synth for um for a decent price you know um i think the Behringer analog stuff um, is um quite well regarded for cheap kind of you know monosynths and stuff so i don't know about underrated for those
0: yeah i so i see what you mean it's uh, i think maybe the blowfeld yeah. is quite underrated i, I cuz we i reviewed right. uh, the, the mark 2 or what there was there different iterations and i was really surprised at how great, just the sawtooth into that filter sounded. It was like, oh, that's lovely. That's really nice. Rich, you must have a... a, a there, there's, there are so many synths to choose from that are underrated or perhaps underappreciated, perhaps maybe a better way of putting it. I don't know.
2: I could easily come up with ten that are overappreciated, but before I go there... <laughs> before I go there, um, of these five, let's see. The Uno, I'm not I've never contacted, but I do know people who really speak very highly of and enjoy using. And I don't even know if IK had anything to do with designing it, but it's theirs. And uh, and as Paulie pointed out, the OP6 is pretty widely regarded as a nice uh, FM alternative for people who want to get a current FM synthesizer and want to be able to operate it without a degree in physics. So that worked out well. And... Um, the XA, the, the Roland, okay, we've toured with one of these things for a number of years. And as great uh, points as have been made about its architecture and the things that are good and bad about that architecture, it is an early Zencore kind of introduction into what has now become a much deeper integration in this instrument next to me called the Phantom. But, um... I wish any of that was its biggest problem. Its biggest problem is the physical construction of the thing. It's just not very robust. Mm. It will fall apart if you try to tour with it. It will break. Um, and uh, we have two of them, and uh, we know this from experience. Uh, have you got
0: the XA or the X or the XI, the little one or the big? The, XI, the, is the little one. I think it's the, the little one.
2: Yeah, the little. Yeah, little but one, they're yeah, ba- yeah. they're basically built out of the same stuff. I mean, if you look yeah. at them, they're not terribly. Uh, high-end construction builds to me. The Behringer product, as odd as it may be, it interested me only because I didn't realize they'd done an MS-20. I think the fact that it fits into a Euro rack is magnificent as far as a design uh. consideration because if I had a Eurorack system. I kind of like the idea of using uh, synthesizers that are known next to other things um, as part of the palette that you use to create these colors and I think especially one with as many patch points as is on the ms20 design uh, could prove to be very useful for certain things in a year you basically get a lot for the money in in that kind of rack configuration so I yeah. kind of like that yeah yeah um, And thank you, Wagyu, for the clarification about the JDXI in the chat room. Um, XI, that was it. Yeah, so um, underrated since I think FM has gone through a period in general of being underrated. Uh, People got real, I don't know, parochial about analog. Analog became the buzzword after digital was the buzzword for a few decades. And uh, so FM didn't really resonate if you'll pardon the pun, with any of that, um, <laughs> and um, I've always really liked FM for what it does well, which is what it does in the mid-range more than anything else, and in high frequencies, and with attack characteristics, so you can get some very unique percussive or even textural things and and great mid-range things that are fun to use and distort, and I find they distort really well, FM Sense, and... Uh, So in general, I think FM kind of has gotten short shrift for a while, and I think the Op6 helped kind of bring it back into favor to some extent. Um, And other than that, uh, I don't really have a list of underrated. I mean, there's you know, the the stuff I didn't want back then hasn't really, for the most part, (laughs) gained (laughs) any particular cachet (laughs) now, even though does anyone. uh, does
0: anyone remember the FISMO? Do you remember that got absolutely yes, of slow? Course. I, never, I never put my hands on that yes. one, the uh, N-Sonic FISMO. Oh. And, and yet people I'm still. People are now sort of saying, oh, I really like the FISMO. I, I hear it. And I don't know whether, I, I mean, I can't say, I, I don't know anything about it. I just remember it being really sort of pilloried and not really appreciated. Was it any good? Does anyone Has anyone played one?
3: Sure. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, Polly. <laughs> I haven't played a FISMO, but I've played and then some Sonic MR rack with the same sample ROM as the FISMO. Right. And there were some quite interesting what we call trans waves on it. It's not political, it, they're just wavetables. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, um, and basically some of the sweeps are really unique actually, but at its core it is, it is pretty much kind of a wavetable synth with quite a bit of modulation and stuff. I've got myself. I wouldn't mind one. I've got a VFX SD up here, and also I've got an EPS sixteen plus. So, if anyone's, you know, if anyone really hates the FISMO and wants to get rid of it, just send it my way, and uh, and it can join its sisters in my studio.
0: I wonder. I wonder how many were made of that, because it was a, it was a sort of. I don't, I, when it came oh, out, I, the, I can't remember if I was it. It's
2: was there the instrument a lot of them that took down the company. It was oh, it literally right. that that yeah. and Paris, and we'll always have Paris. Um, took down the company, um, basically. Oh yeah, Paris. Was that the DAW? Was Paris the, or the, yeah, the, the NLE for uh, their, uh, their, audio? Their uh, Windows-based DAW, yeah, or MS DOS. Didn't it have hardware though.
0: Did did oh, yes, God,
2: there were cards. I remember, yeah, it was. It, there was there were cards, but uh, the reason why I remember all this is because we had a rather. Uh, uh, active relationship with Insonic through the time I've my early years with Nile Rodgers starting in 1988 We did uh, signature series libraries for them. We had an endorsement. So I was I was using their gear constantly from the uh, EPS onwards uh, As far as trans waves go the first appearance of Transwaves in an insonic product was the VFX Which had certain other flaws in it mostly in the sequencer, but you've got one
3: yeah, I've got you've one. got VFX SD 2 Uh
2: huh. Yeah. Oh, well. Okay. No, just yeah. In the that's, all of the things after the first VFX up through the TS series had trans waves that were modulatable, and yes. uh, they were fun to use. Was so I got I used to really enjoy programming patches using their trans wave tables and being able to modulate them even just subtly gave your patch so yes. much more animation in life. Um, so the FISMO was an attempt. Mm to bring physical modeling, if it's not uh, obvious by the title, into the mainstream with a hardware instrument. FISMO relates to physical modeling. And um, wow, it was not I a feel successful- instrument. So I didn't, I
0: didn't get that until just now.
2: <laughs> it was not a very <laughs> successful instrument for them. In fact, one could argue it took down the company along with Paris. And, um, and I played it once and it, Sort of, it seemed to work. It was on a sales floor, which is a really horrible place to learn an instrument. Mm. Um, and I really loved Ensonic, and I really loved what they were trying to do. I loved the fact that they were burning their own damn system chips on site and stuff. They were actually, you know, like manufacturing stuff outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania.
0: Weren't they, were, were they, uh, did they have a hookup with creative? Was that why you were seeing the hardware Ultimately, stuff? Ultimately. They were,
2: the, uh, I think, yeah. I think yeah. the first buyer was creative. Who took some card, uh, or they did something with them. Uh, they, I think they were initially purchased by Creative. Uh, uh, right. As they, as, the, as they disintegrated.
3: Yeah. The Emu okay. and then ha- Creative, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
0: I, think I can't too, think maybe. so. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. And they did do some, yeah, there were some in Sonic sound cards weren't there and sound devices that were that evolved into paris anyway i yeah it's a uh, that, that's probably it for another topic but uh yeah no anyway it's a great article well worth I've checking got, out um,
3: um i've got one oh, underrated got another... synth if that's okay okay just yes, one please do it's really odd some people are starting to clock on now that it's quite unique for certain digitally pads and stuff and it's called the technics wsa one And it's another early physical modelling synth from about 1995. And it's got two big... Very thought of. Yeah, it's got two sort of... People who know about it, know about it, but the rest of everyone else is just like, oh, it's just some kind of romper or something like that. Honestly, what it does is really unique kind of wood-knocked sounds or very sort of resonant pipe structure pads and things like that um Hmm. and it's a it's one of my secret weapons basically when when i when i put a a, one of the sounds in a song people are like what's that weird instrument you know and it's always the wsa one
0: Hmm. nice yeah i i yeah no good shout good shout i um there was there's a couple in the chat room as well i'm just trying to see if i can find it before i uh Oh, yeah. Uh, Ian J. Cole says uh, the Sculpt, the modal Sculpt uh, and Sculpt and see it underrated. I would agree. I think the Sculpt sounds really good. It's actually very, um, it's very digital. And for sort of early digital, it's quite an interesting machine because even though it's sort of, it's not quite chip tunes, but it's, it, it's got quite a grit to it but it's still got lots of it's got a really interesting distortion and filter modeling and i think it's what what the cobalt and the um i forget the other one now uh the argon came out of where they sort of upgraded yeah. their uh the, the hardware around it um and so yeah there's a lot of good stuff there and they're probably dirt cheap i mean underrated but also quite fiddly to use but i think that was physically yes. what, com- what compromised it because it's a piece of it looks like a plastic box how about Morpheus
2: for an underrated synthesizer?
3: I've the got a Morpheus. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Well, oh, it's not under, oh, it's amazing. not underrated at Polly's house. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> the,
2: is that in Sonic? The thing as well? is, it's. No, E-MU. no, no. It's Emu. Yeah.
0: Emu. Ah, okay. Ah,
3: it's got ah, about three hundred odd different filters. Yeah. Um, it's you have to you have to program it with a you know wallpaper your hall looking through a letterbox style programming but um yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely love that if you can get to the point where you just get a wave and try the different filters um is really really good uh, if you can get one you know for your rack for cheap and there's some decent editors
0: that's it yeah, it's the, it's oh, the D110's it. life, isn't it? It's basically yeah. uh, um, multi-timbral as well.
2: What was their series yes. that had that, though? The Proteus. It's really built on the Proteus yeah, uh, yeah, architecture. Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah, I, I like Paulie's words for it. I call it the hole in the fence at the construction site. So yes. you walk up and you <laughs> stick your eye in the hole and there's this giant expanse out behind it. You know? yes. And that's kind of what you're working with in one of these synths with a display this big and a million parameters behind it.
0: That's right, and the uh, the system exclusive uh, um, and stuff is so laggy that you can't really write an editor for it because it take it just it can't cope with the bandwidth and controlling <laughs>
3: parameters. There's, there's a hilarious Morpheus demo on YouTube, like a corporate kind of emu demo of the Morpheus. <laughs> okay with the most excited demonstrator i've ever seen just going through it oh, and we'll it's to... so 90s and it's amazing so please you know please everyone watch that because it's it's so charming. we'll have to check
0: that out i would better just um uh, have a word from our friends over at uh baby audio as well because uh, they're back for for the rest <laughs> of the year which is very kind Baby Audio makes creative effects plugins designed to add colour and depth to your mixes. They won Plugin of the Year 2021 in Future Music and Computer Music Magazine and were nominated for the SOS Awards two years in a row. Why not check out Smooth Operator, a resonance suppression, equalisation and compression plugin that automatically eliminates resonances and muddiness. Oops, what's happened here? It automatically eliminates resonances in the background. Get 15% off when checking out with the code ST15. Oh dear, I'm having a bad uh, tech day today. Uh, yes, Baby Audio, thank you very much for uh, uh, for supporting us. Uh, check out with the code ST15 to save 15%. That's the thing. I've spent the week uh, fiddling around with uh, my M2 Mac Mini to try and make everything back up and. Now I've got a tiny little super powerful little box under the desk that takes the database and all our code and everything. It took me weeks, <laughs> weeks to figure it out. But now everything else is breaking, and I don't understand why. I haven't been fiddling with this yet, anyway. Uh, what else have we got? Let's see. Uh, we, I'm sure we have. Oh, wow. This, it's hard to know where to go, whether to go for um, the 4-track the Port Studio emulator or the uh, which is the best DAW. What do you think? Mm, well, I think that uh, we probably get both. Could quarter we yeah. can get both can in
2: next fifteen minutes.
0: Okay, <laughs> let's go for this then. So, uh, this is again another Gear News uh, topic, uh, which is uh, by Stefan. I can't quite make that out actually. I should probably make that a bit bigger. Um, uh, which is the best door for your style of music? Which is actually an interesting sure. proposition. I mean, as, as a question, you know, it's not an unreasonable question. I mean, there's a lot of parity between uh, uh, DOWs in terms of features. It's just a question of how maybe you get to them. What's nearer the surface? I mean, like, say, if you're into sort of jamming and looping, then you you might go for mm. Ableton. But then Logic has similar kind of functionality built into it and has a whole bunch of other things besides. So it's quite hard uh, to know which, which one you would go for. I'm having to connect again. Yep. There we go. Sorry about that. I just <laughs> lost my connection halfway through that. I don't know if I was still there. We heard you. Uh, so, we heard yeah, you. For ins- so, yeah, for instance, I mean, I personally, I use Reaper for some things because yeah. it's just less hassle in many ways, very simple stuff. I, use, I used to use Logic for a long time, and I use Ableton. For, those are the sort of three that I would play with. In terms of other ones, I generally don't get involved because I don't have the patience to learn the nuance of them, and I'm not sure. doing it every day. So it kind of feels like, well... I, I, you know, I, uh, there's only so much room. It's like the Homer Simpson uh, thing, isn't it, where he has to learn something new for work, and he said, and he, he's always goes, oh no, that means I'm going to have to, something, I'll have to forget something to make room for this new stuff, and I'm very, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of work like that a little bit. Um, I, I know, Rich. I mean, you, you, obviously, you know, in a professional environment, you work with whatever is given to you, so you must have a, a more than passable knowledge of many DIWs. But if somebody's starting out, Would you? What would you recommend to them? And what would be the factors that would make that would inform that uh, that advice? Do you think? I
2: suppose is another way of looking at it. I would tell them it doesn't matter. Big question, because it doesn't matter. Um, And the question is the problem, because everything out there that we've discussed and are about to discuss is plenty good enough to not Mm. be the limiting factor in your ability to make something good. So it doesn't matter. Learn them all because they're all good and they'll all take you in different directions and don't be down to one. The whole idea of the question bothers me because it it's suggests. And in fact, at the end, they had a clickable thing about which DAW do you use and you couldn't select multiple ones. There you have the, mm-hmm. prob- the problem right there. Is it because the, the by manipulating the artist, the consumer, the customer, whatever, into thinking that it matters you try to sell based on a feature set that they don't even know what you're talking about when they're starting out. So <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> the truth is, it doesn't matter. They're all really, really good. Uh, what do I use? I use, let's see, what's in front of me right now? Studio One, Ableton, Pro Tools, Melodyne. Um, I've used all of them. Digital Pro, I could use Performer. They all push me in different directions, and that's Mm -hmm. a good thing, not a bad Mm. thing. So there you go. Okay. It doesn't matter. Pick one and just get started.
0: Well, that's an interesting. One. I mean, I would. The, the only thing I would say is it depends if they don't have any sound sources. I might suggest you know maybe going with. They all come with sound Ableton. sources.
2: They all come with t- tremendous libraries full of loops and instruments, yeah. and they all come with perfectly. Work. The best thing about switching them up actually is that each one usually has a synth that the other ones don't have that does something yeah. cool. So whether it's Studio One or Logic or Ableton or no matter I mean, we're, you know, we're going to talk about an Ableton topic anyway, but but, uh, there's just so much in, they're all so feature rich at this point that it's an Mm. embarrassment of riches and this is not the limiting factor in your ability to do stuff.
0: Yeah, and let's not forget GarageBand, of course, which is uh, the entry drug of of many, of choice of many. Paulie, I I don't know what you use. I don't think I've ever asked. It feels like a personal question, but, you know, I suppose it's a personal
3: question. Before I go into DAWs, can I just mention one thing I remembered? We were talking about the Morpheus synth and it being a bit difficult to use. And I think Dave Rossum has since made Eurorack module version of the filters in that. So if you want to kind of explore Z-plane filtering... um, Z-plane, Z-plane filtering, yeah. I think, well, it's American, it'll be Z-plane, won't it? Then then that's probably a better route to go if you don't like menu diving. But DAWs, interesting, really. Um, If I'm doing something loop-based, I'll go back to my Amiga days and use a tracker, and I'll get a few loops together because um, there's some very quick commands in them for sample start offset. And it's all kind of in hexadecimal code. It's not very easy to to pick up, but if you know it, it's very quick to do kind of glitchy kind of loop manipulation. It's just like, it's something I've been doing since I was about 14, so it's very natural to me. Um, But if I'm doing like a more linear song, say I've already written a song and I wanna record it, uh, I use Cubase. Cubase has been my love since about two thousand and one, two thousand and two, um, mm. and it everything everything is where I know know where it is, you know. Um, and sometimes I'll be doing a. It's great as well because it very easily exports MIDI files. Because some some uh, some artists I've worked with, like there was an uh, an industrial band called Decrups I I wrote a song for they want to do all their own sound design so i just sent them a, a midi file of you know some parts in the song and on cubase it's like super easy to just do that because it's linear um finally i would like to to give some love to reaper as well because mm. i've got a separate little mastering rig that i have reaper on that i use with various you know different uh, Headphones and speakers and things like that, so I can check my mix um, in a variety of check my master in a variety of uh, circumstances. Um, so I use Reaper for that, and you know, to
0: it- use the native plugins, or have you got plugins that you run across it, or is it more just a a, a playout system?
3: Um, I've got. Yeah, I've got some like mastering plugins and things like that that were installed like years ago on it. (laughs) So I don't know where the CDs are, so I best find them if I ever want to, you know, upgrade that Mac. Um, But again, I think the point is if you find something that works for you, maybe you should stick with it. Or, of course, you can switch it up if you want something new and be pushed in a different direction. But Perhaps upgrading for the sake of upgrade's sake might not always be the, you know, in terms of versions, you know, I've got some quite old versions of Cubase here and with some quite old plugins that I know I can get certain results from, so I don't necessarily think upgrading is always is always the way. Um, but of course right. I'm kind of niche, because I run I have old computers with all different versions of Windows on and Amigas and old Macs and a ZX Spectrum so not everyone's quite as uh, hardcore <laughs> as me into um, digital preservation of old operating systems but Yeah, if, yeah, if I, guess,
0: works, I mean I think
3: uh, if it works stick with it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think the starting out thing is key. I mean but what what is quite terrible because the thing is it's fine if you're just noodling around you can try different things and see how it fits you it's when you've got a job or a deadline or something that you have to use the tool to get the thing done by the next morning or the next night or whatever that's when you have to kind of be disciplined and go well I'm not going to spend half the day messing around trying to figure out how to root my MIDI. I just stick with what I know because I know I can figure out a way around it, even yeah. if it's not the ideal thing. I mean, I started out uh, like many people on uh, Cubase. I started out on Pro 24, then I went to Cubase yeah. on Atari. And then when uh, Logic uh, started to be a thing, I went to that because uh, it was, it, everybody was kind of raving. It, it, it was, again, it was a sort of paradigm shift in the concept of a DAW, so everybody sort of jumped to it, and it sort of sure. stuck with a lot of people, and became became a, a composition um, a, a composition environment of choice, and for many, it still is. I mean, no doubt, because mm. partly because you know, when you you Apple are subsidising it now, and you get a whole lot of stuff that you probably wouldn't be getting for the same dollar in other DAWs. I mean, that's either there, neither here nor there, because I mean, you do in uh, Ableton as well. So they they kind of set the bar to a degree with what you get for the money. And I suppose you get the same sort of thing with GarageBand and that's that route through. They want to keep you on the Mac, obviously, the whole thing is a sales channel. But, yeah. So it's like the lost leader to a degree to get creatives involved in, in, in their hardware. Um, but now I really, if I was going to, I'm just trying to think, where would I go? I, I think I'd be more comfortable doing a project in Logic because it would come back to me. And I'd remember I was sure. using Logic for maybe 15, 20 years re- every day muscle in memory. production. So, yeah, so muscle memory. And I go, I know that there was a way to do this. But to be honest, I did a mix with, um, on when I was working on that uh, Moog um, ensemble thing in the, in the church, which was just 10 Moogs. I I worked yeah. with the guy, Silas, who did the sound at our last EMOM, and he was getting stuff out of Logic. I didn't even know that it did that stuff. I didn't know that there was playlisting. I didn't know that you could separate the arrangement from the mixer pages. And just and he was so fast, and I just thought, you know, I'm so far behind. I just Maybe I should just get someone else to drive, really, and worry about it if I'm just going to write in it, and that's it. I just couldn't. I, there were so many features in there that I just thought, wow, I have no... I really have no idea what's going on, and I suppose, you know, to begin with, I would go. For, I would recommend something that had the least amount of friction. If you're if you're advising someone who really doesn't know what they're doing and doesn't, you know, you know they're not really going to want to yeah. get involved in the, the the nuts and bolts of it. At this stage, they just want to make some music. I would probably say something like yes. Garage Band, you know, because it's just GarageBand. I just kind of plug a. I just plug it, you know, just really just so you can write in it. Maybe. But the rest, yeah. it's because as soon as you start involving MIDI, it, it people get really confused. I think I don't know, Rich. You mm. you look like you might have a. a
2: it depends on their a, a level of it. of musical expertise yeah, exactly. coming into the thing and how much they actually want to physically play into it and sequence normal MIDI, and how much they want to actually sort of um, montage a bunch of, uh, yeah. you know, musical content that's part of what's provided, and that's why I say they all provide giant amounts of musical content now, so that they can make it available to people who don't otherwise have, shall we say, playing skills on ten instruments, like our friend Pauly, for example. So for those people... Doesn't it make you, make you sick? Different... No! I, I think it's fantastic. <laughs> not at all. Not in the least. I embrace the idea of picking up instruments and getting good on them. I love that, and that's why I love this thing. Yeah, because because I had to learn all over again, how to play, and uh, I love that.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, that's. A, I mean, that's. I it. think that's a fair point. I, yeah, I, I suppose that's a slight. Like, but everybody's not. I suppose like the that. thing is, is that yeah, so yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Know. Yeah. Anyway, I think uh, I'm going to leave the questions for this week. Uh, I know that uh, we haven't had many in, but there are a few coming in. We do have some in the background. But uh, once again, I just want to say thanks, you guys, for sharing your memories of Dom and you know everybody sure. for, in the chat room for your memories, and I hope uh, we can all celebrate his life and i think there's going to be some kind of event in the uk in march which i will definitely be going to um but we'll also have our Imam. i forgot even to plug that actually but i suppose it seems a little bit uh, inappropriate but we will actually let me just quickly while i'm there i will throw up the uh link which is this one and if you want to go uh we'll be performing um well seven people will be performing on the 11th of march saturday the 11th of march uh, and it'll be a, a kind of a tribute to dom as well but uh, if you want to go the details are on the screen now sonic uh, bit.ly slash sonic emom 2 tickets are only a fiver trying to get them sold in advance so we know what sort of numbers we're dealing with so they can figure out how many people put on the bar you know all that kind of stuff anyway um Paulie, uh, uh, how's the? Um, have you nearly done with your uh, soundtrack? You said you were getting heavy, heavy onto that um, the last week. Have you have you made progress?
3: Oh, definitely. We've got so many, so many of the tracks for Arcade Dreams done now. And he sent me. Um, Zach, the director, sent me a rough cut of episode one, and it's all the shots of you know different arcade games panning across, you know, in dark rooms, and and my music playing. And I got proper, you know. Goosebumps. So I was like, oh thank thank goodness, you know that um that it worked because I didn't do it in um the the standard way a composer would, you know um you get some footage and and score to it. No, it was more let's just do vibes. So we just sometimes we just talk in YouTube videos, me and the director, or just send me like two or three YouTube videos and goes something like this, you know they they could be anything like a Michael Jackson song or blah blah blah, and I'll I'll go away and 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 get those vibes and and put them in and then he just slots them in where they might fit and it's it's thankfully worked. So I'm very happy Excellent. about that. Oh, that's so, yeah. great. Yeah. Great. And Baby Fenn's doing you... very well as well.
0: Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. You've got a show tonight as well. Aren't, aren't you on another show tonight? You're um you're doing uh, yes, a, so... a, a thing with Rob uh, molten, <laughs> molten, molten Music Technology. You're debating whether, whether the 80s technology. ruined the music,
3: right? <laughs> yeah did the 80s kill pop music how clickbaity is that title it's incredible we've all got to do it um yeah yeah so um i mean you can probably guess what what side i'm gonna (laughs) um come down on um being being an 80s baby and being in a room full of synths it's probably probably likely that i'm gonna say no it didn't but i've got some interesting points and and things like that. We'll talk about sampling, and maybe we'll talk a bit about how productions became more a bit of a one-man or one-person band, you know, Um mm. some productions, because one enabling. person yeah, in the studio absolutely. could enable the entire track. And, and, and was it well, better that, yeah. when you had a load of musicians there vibing and going, this guitar part or something like that? You know, was it, you know? Well, uh, let's not forget
0: Prince, Prince, Sign of the Times, the album Sign of the Times by Prince uh, was an 80s album, which was very enabling for a lot of people when they heard... uh, and, and the story that surrounded, because it was basically him doing it with machines, or at least that was the story yes. of the PR that went with it. So everybody yes. felt really kind of enabled, thought, you know what? I can get a computer. I can do it with MIDI in my little four track. There was, de- I mean, certainly yeah. in the UK, there was a definitely a kind of, it felt like a watershed moment. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's, uh, what time is that, Paulie? Seven o'clock?
3: 7 p.m. Yeah.
0: Okay. On um, on uh, Robin's uh, channel, if you check out Molten Music Robin's Technology channel. on uh, YouTube. And... Uh, rich what are you up to now have you got uh you, you out on the road at all or are you having a bit of a quiet time while the uh
2: you know while i am uh, <laughs> while what no well i'm uh, i have uh aside from some personal things that are going on with my family and uh i have this uh new instrument next to me called the phantom eight by roland and i'm preparing it for use in Our coming tours and that is taking up a lot of my attention and energy because it's a ridiculously deep instrument with gobs and gobs and gobs of features and I want to make sure I'm using it uh, to uh, enhance our show as best I can so uh, and included among that is Zencore synths and on-front on, on, and on front panel, you know, uh, enveloping and filter controls that really do give a very convincing uh, simulation of operating an actual synthesizer, which is remarkable at the extent to which it actually f- and sounds great. It really does sound fantastic. So a lot of work going into this. I've got my new Equator 2 that I continue to play regularly. I've got my relatively new De Angelico guitar behind me that I continue to play regularly. I've got a few uh, little projects I've got to do for Niall Rogers in the next coming week or two, and then we will start hitting the road. And when we hit the road this year, it's going to be intense. I'm going to be gone for most wow. of the rest of the year, starting from about May. Um, they're going wow. to be a lot of down and backs at first, and then there's going to be a month tour in the U.S. with Duran Duran. Then there's going to be about a month and a half in the U.K. and Europe uh, through July and August. And then we're going to be out for another month with Duran Duran in the fall. And uh, I can hardly wait to see what comes after all of that. So um, I'm just (laughs) having to... Please tell Nick Rhodes. He's my idol. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Nick is my buddy. Uh, I love Nick Rhodes. Great. Um,
3: Yeah. He's amazing.
2: He is. He's just a great guy. And I love him dearly. And uh, I, I will... I will see him and mention that to him. Uh, oh, amazing. Cool. Uh, well, hopefully of guys, we'll see he you, Rich. Roland J D JDXI and JDXA or whatever the other one was that we were talking about. He uses a lot of that stuff on stage. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's true. That, that, I so think I'll be around this, this summer.
2: <laughs> we, we should hopefully oh, right. have, the opp- have the opportunity to yeah. get together. And if I'm, I'm going to try to make uh, Dom's memorial, uh, we'll see if we can do that. Oh wow, that'd be awesome. okay all right well thank you everybody
0: thank you yeah thank you everybody for joining us uh thank you all the folks in the chat room sorry i was a little bit discombobulated this week but you know it's uh, inevitable really but uh once again thank you very much uh we'll be back next week and um have a great time see you later Bye bye